Today I want to talk to us about righteously loving our nation. So this is going to be a patriotic message this morning, okay? I, I, I want to say with a qualifier, a righteously patriotic message this morning. A very biblical because a lot of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is devoted to some sense of nationalistic pride, really. And today is Labor Day, right? We call this in our preaching world here at Lover's Lane a standalone sermon, which means it's not connected to a series and we can do whatever we want to do, okay? So today, I want to do patriotism. Now, I want to say that um, Labor Day has lost a little something in that it was a, a holiday started in the 19th century that was basically um, to focus our nation on the gift of labor, right? The gift of working and labor rights and all that makes labor great in this country. But, but lately, uh, Labor Day is kind of uh, that last little bit of summer, that everybody, most of the time school's already started, but it's just barely started, and all of a sudden you have another big break, and it's Labor Day, and everybody loves Labor Day, and we preachers, we hate it, because it's the third lowest Sunday of the year in attendance, typically. But today, we look pretty good in here. We look pretty good in here, so thank you for being here. I want to turn our attention this morning to the Psalms. I want us to look at the 89th Psalm. We could have picked a lot of passages this morning to center our thought on patriotism, but I want us to talk about, uh, or, or to, to talk in terms of the Psalm, the 89th Psalm, beginning with the 13th verse. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. You have a mighty arm, strong as your hand, and high your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Happy are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. They exult in your name all day long and extol your righteousness. For you are the glory of their strength, O God. By your favor, our horn, which means strength, our strength is exalted. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And don't get too comfortable in more ways than one. I mean, the preacher's already said he's going to talk about patriotism, right? Say, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Might get political this morning. Well, no, it's not. It's not going to. But I do want us to think about patriotism and how easy patriotism can get stirred in our hearts. Now, this week, I'm going to go to a baseball game, to a Rangers baseball game. Now, I know they're having a tough year. And it's going to be hot. And I can't get six friends to go with me. I may be there all alone eating a hot dog, watching the Hot Rangers game. But, uh, but I'm going. And you know, to me, uh, baseball, I, I really do uh, 
get into that phrase that it is America's uh, greatest pastime. I, I believe that. Not too many people believe that anymore, but I still believe it. And, you know, there's some traditions related to baseball that I love. And, and some of them take me back. I mean, when we were in sem- when I was in seminary in Kansas City, shortly after the Earth's surface cooled, um, back in the 80s, not that far away, 1980s, um, Tammy and I would go watch the, the Royals play baseball, okay? Because we were in Kansas City and the Royals stadium was, oh, it was just a skip away. So we would go on Monday nights because you could get in the ball game for two bucks and you could get a hot dog for two bucks. And I think you could get a beer for two bucks. I'll have to ask Tammy about that. But I remember how much we loved baseball games. We'd sit in the left field loudies or the right field rowdies. And we'd watch the Kansas City uh, Royals play baseball and all of those great stars back then. I would mention them, but most of you in here don't even know their names anymore. But um, I remember that the great tradition was the seventh inning. You know what happens in the seventh inning, don't you? Yeah. And we would stand up and we would sing. And Tammy, who has just been loving the game, all the game, and she's standing up. She's got a big smile on her face as we're singing, take me out to the ball game. And as soon as we finish it, she says, okay, let's go home. Because I never saw the end of a Royals baseball game. No matter what, no matter how good it was going, after the seventh inning stretch, she was was done. But I'd like for us to get into that tradition. Let's everybody stand. We're going to sing a rousing round to stir patriotism in your hearts of take me out to the ball game. Take me out to the ball game take me out to the crowd buy me some peanuts and cracker jacks i don't care if i never get back let me root 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 for the home team if they don't win it's a shame for it's one two Three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. That was really nice. Harmony. You may be seated. You've done your duty. You know, there's something about that song. There's something about being at a ball game. Have you ever thought about it? Hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people every year are going to baseball games. And at the seventh inning, just like the doxology in traditional worship, everybody stands and sings, right? It doesn't matter what your political persuasion. It doesn't matter what your culture, your race. Everybody. It's one of the most unifying experiences that we have in this nation. Everybody standing and singing. Take me out to the ball game. And on September the 11th, 2001, when this nation experienced the great heartache of what we now call 9-11, there was another tradition started. In ballparks all across the land it started, and now it is staple. In most ballparks, it supplements take me out to the ball game ball game in some ballparks it's replaced it and what is that god bless america you know it's almost as if we have uh, we have said in our time of our deepest pain and have continued that there is a higher calling that we recognize there is something that precedes any 
patriotism or nationalistic pride that we might have. Even in the midst of the fun of the ball game and the joy of singing, take me out to the ball game, everything stops and we stand and we hear sung and sing along. Let's sing it. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with the light from above. From the mountains to the prairies, we'll stand up through the oceans white with foam God bless America my home sweet home God bless America my home sweet home that was nice you may be seated we probably won't stand up again for the rest of the sermon. But who knows? You know, for most of us, patriotism comes fairly easily. And, and yet there are things that stir patriotism in your heart that may not exactly stir it in my heart in the same way and vice versa. And yet there are some things that seem to just stir it in all of our hearts with a, um, a degree of, of equality. You know, we say the Pledge of Allegiance with conviction. We fly the flag, we sing patriotic songs with enthusiasm. But patriotic feelings are not enough for us Christians. Really not enough. And loving our country is not enough. It takes more than, than just love of nation to be a good citizen. You know, this past week, um, the country's kind of been galvanized around celebrating a fallen hero in Senator John McCain. I mean, all week long, no matter where you turn, no matter what paper you picked up. You know, we were hearing these stories about this great American hero. You know, his stories about, um, you know, being, being a prisoner of war in, in Vietnam and and. and his political convictions and in, in, in all and you know whether you're a democrat or a republican or or an independent or whatever you know we've all found in our hearts some time to to honor john mccain and there's no question that he did give his life and years of service for his country i mean i think we can recognize that he loved his country you know, I want to say this morning, George Bush and Barack Obama, I, I think they love their country. And Hillary Clinton and, and Donald Trump, they, they love their country. Don't you believe that? And Kim Jong-un and Hugo Chavez, they love their country. They really do. And so does Vladimir Putin and and. Kai Zinping, they love their country, Russia and China. Patriotism is not just something we, we U.S. folk enjoy, but patriotism happens all over the world. 
may not call it exactly that. It's in essence love of nation. But these political leaders and their love of country um, is good or it's less good. Depending on the things that you love about your country. The things you value. The things that you truly do lift to the place of honor. Now for those of us who want to righteously love our nation. I think a good place for us to start is with the words of Jesus. And Jesus said... Seek ye first, what? The kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. And and righteousness, we need to define, is really about right relationships. Right relationship with God first, and then right relationship with yourself and right relationship with your neighbor. And that right relationship is based on the principles that are uplifted by Jesus in God's word. So when Jesus said, keep the kingdom of God as your focal point, seek ye first the kingdom of God, then what Jesus is saying, these right relationships, when God is first and God's righteousness is first, and all of these other relationships you have, they all fall into proper place when we seek first the kingdom of God. You see, the Old Testament talked a lot about the, the nation of Israel and how important that love of nation was. And, you know, there were some pretty tough things done in the name of love of nation. Let me tell you about that. Jesus didn't talk about nation. He talked about the kingdom of God. And he talked a lot about the kingdom of God. He talked about the things that make for the kingdom of God. And all the time he was talking about the kingdom of God, it was a kingdom driven by not your righteousness or my righteousness, thank God, but by God's righteousness, God's principles. You know, what God loves and wants us to love. So I think that tells us something important about patriotism and that that it brings us to the first thing that I want to say this morning and you'll be happy to know I'm not going to say three things this morning, just two. I want to say first that, that we love our nation best when we make it less important than our love for the kingdom of God and God's highest values. Do I need to say that again? We love our nation best when we love our nation less than the things of the kingdom of God. You know, perhaps the most dangerous thing that we can do in the name of patriotism is to make our nation itself the highest value. You hear me? When we make our nation an end in in and of itself, that's the most dangerous thing that we could possibly do. Now, rightly understood, a nation is not an ideal to be served. Rather, a nation is an organizational means by which a group of people may serve a common 
ideal. You understand that the nation's not the ideal. The nation is the mechanism or the organization that brings the ideals into play in proper perspective. And therefore, the person who loves her or his nation best is the person who insists that her or his nation be faithful to the best that we know we are called to be about. Now what I'm talking about is utterly biblical. In fact, our founders took the ideals that found, in founding this nation directly out of the Bible and their faith. They didn't, they didn't just come out of the, the wind blowing by. They came from the things that, that they knew centered people on what was right. They identified strongly with the, the nation of Israel and the biblical talk about the importance of the nation. That's, what our, that's, that's how our nation came to be. So the founders of our republic did not organize a government and then try to decide what kind of government we would be and what we would do as a government. That's not the way it happened. The founders of our nation centered in on the values and the ideals and the principles that I believe came right out of the Bible. And then they formed a government that would uplift and protect those ideals and values and principles. Isn't that the way it happened? So I want us to listen this morning to the Declaration of Independence. I mean, it's Labor Day, right? National holiday, right? So we hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men, I'm going to say people, are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights... Governments are instituted among people deriving their most powers, their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whether any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Now, isn't it abundantly clear that the government is subservient, really, to the ideals and the values? And if the government is not uplifting those ideals and values that we hold dear, those rights, then we're just going to replace the government, get a new one that's going to do that because it's not the government that we love. It, it, it is what the government is called to uplift and stand for. Those things that make for righteousness, right relations with God and with one another and yourself. Arnold Toynbee, a respected historian, said this. 
Nations, cultures, and empires are never destroyed from the outside, but destroy themselves. Their self-destruction is always due to the defects of character. So he's suggesting that the future of this or any nation is utterly dependent upon a national character. It's dependent upon the values that we decide to pursue and whether or not those values are pleasing to God. You know, we say our Pledge of Allegiance. The kids in here, a lot of them know the Pledge of Allegiance. We say, one nation, what? Under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for some. For all. We bought into that. Every bit of it. We bought into that under God. That everything's under God. God's over everything. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and, and all of these other good things that our country is based on that we say in our Pledge of Allegiance that we be indivisible, in other words, united with liberty and justice for all. And of course, every nation is under God's providence and God's judgment they just don't all recognize it really I mean do we think we're the only nation that's under God no everybody's under God they may not get it but they are and I think what makes um, our country a, a great nation is that in our best times we get that we understand that that our country is here for a purpose that is bigger than any one of us. That, that is as big as God. Because it's under God. And what God calls us to. Liberty and justice for all. You know we love our nation best. When we insist that that's the way it should be. Righteousness exalts a nation. That's what the Bible says. Righteousness lifts up a nation. Now the second and last thing I want to say this morning. Is that I want to say to love our nation is wise, in wise and helpful ways. We must strike a good balance between appreciation and criticism. Okay? Facebook's driving me nuts right now. I'm going to defriend everybody. Is that what you do or unfriend? Driving me nuts. John Gardner um, has pointed out that there are two groups of citizens who are dangerous. There are unloving critics and there are uncritical lovers. Our nation deserves better than either. That's a pretty good quote. That there are unloving critics and there are uncritical lovers and our nation deserves better than either. I don't know about you, but I do not appreciate people who criticize our nation with a sneer. 
I don't. Nor do I appreciate the critic who pretends to be above it all and talks about nations in terms of us and them. Those of us who are right and those of us who don't get it yet. It is true that if we love our nation, we must be critical when we are less than our best. Do you hear me? Love of nation doesn't mean that anything goes with our nation. I mean, the reason we have political parties is not because we, we, um, we have different ideas about these values and these principles that we lift high, hopefully, but we have different ideas about how you get to that, right? And we differ on how you best get to that. But it should be those values and principles that are they're not debated. So it is true that we, if we, our nation... become non-critical of ourselves, then we will be less of a nation. I don't know where we got the idea that to be patriotic, we must always affirm and never criticize. And I don't know where we got the idea that to be patriotic means that we always must be concerned and criticize if our guy isn't in the Oval Office or our party's not in control. Really. So in light of that, what kind of people do we as a nation want to be? I'm talking to you as Christians. What are we who are called to be lovers of righteousness? What kind of nation do we want to be? Do we want a nation where profit always trumps other values? Do we want a society in which getting mine is all that counts? Do we want a country where security is more important than morality? Do we want a nation that winks at kickbacks and yawns at corruption? Do we want a culture where where values are so distorted that things are more important than people? Do we really want to be a nation where where we pay our entertainers and our our athletes these high salaries and we underpay our teachers and our nurses and we resent the minimum wage? What kind of people do we want to be? You know, the one thing we have in common this morning, because I know we're not all Uh, Democrats, not all Republicans, not all independents, not all libertarians, and just keep on going down the list. We're not all, we're not all, we're all, we are all Christians. And we're called to influence those of like political minds according to righteousness. You know, I'm not one to stand up here today and to, you know, run some more clips of John McCain. John McCain is a great American hero, in my opinion, and we have seen enough of John this week. But, but I am going to say that I really, 
I really was moved by his style. I didn't always agree with his style. I mean, I doubt you could find anybody who'd say they always agreed with John McCain. Really. He offended people in his own parties. He offended people in the other parties. I mean, he, he just did what he felt was right. He wasn't always right, but he did what he felt was right. You know, one thing I've done this week, kind of my way of paying tribute to John McCain, is I Googled these stories. There are dozens and dozens of very moving stories. So at Christmas time, I'm going to start using more of them. Because a lot of them are about Christmas time. But you can only imagine, you've been in a prisoner of war uh, camp for five and a half years, and what Christmases must have been like. Birthdays. He told this story that was very moving to me that I think accentuates the point, and with this I'll end. He said it was Christmas, and he'd been in that particular camp, the Hanoi Hilton, for um, a couple of years. And he said his arms had been tied securely like they were nearly every night. He said, in the middle of the night, a guard came into his room. Didn't say a word. And, un- and loosened those bonds on his arms and his feet. And he said, before morning, that same guard came in and he tightened them back up. So that other guards that John McLean said were less humanitarian would not discover what he had done. He said a few weeks later, it was actual Christmas Day. He said we were out on the prison yard. He said that same guard came up to me and just stood beside me. We looked at each other briefly. He said, and then that prison guard made the sign of the cross in the sand in front of my shoe with his sandal. He said, we just stood there for a minute, maybe two. No words were said. No, no eye glances, just a cross. He said, and then the guard erased it. And walked away. And John McCain said that was one of the greatest Christmas presents I'd ever received. Because in the midst of a war between nations and in the condition that I was in, a man that seemed to embrace my values and my Christian faith explained to me in the symbol of a cross why he would come to me in the middle of the night and loosen my bonds 
There's something higher that keeps us focused in proper patriotism. The righteous loving of a nation. A Frenchman by the name of Decaville said this over a hundred years ago. I sought for the greatness in America in her harbors and rivers and fertile fields and her mines and in her commerce. It was not there. No, until I went into the churches and I heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the greatness of her power. America is great because it is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, it will cease to be great. Amen. Amen.